Hey everyone, Jeremy L. Jones here, author of Ruins of Empire. So, as I said after the last episode of Saturnius Mons, we are working on the finishing touches of the second book, Templum Veneris, but in the meantime, I've got some extra content to help bridge that long gap. What you are about to listen to is something I'm going to call The Darkness of Titan. It is a series of short stories that take place almost a thousand years before the events of Saturnius Mons, during the time period that Martin Raff writes about in the introductions. It is the story about how a far-flung mining colony became the fractured society on the brink of total war that we meet in Saturnius Mons. As always, if you haven't left us a review yet, please consider doing so. It helps more people find this little project, and it lets us know that there are people who listen who generally approve of what we're doing. And if you'd like the most up-to-date news on Templum Veneris, or any of the other projects by yours truly, Go to www.ruinsofempirebook.com, and while you're there, be sure to sign up for the newsletter so you get all the latest news in your inbox. And now, without further delay, I give you The Darkness of Titan, Part 1, The Day the Ships Stop Coming. From the data logs of Marco Lavish, July 11th, 2097. The day has finally arrived. I was so excited that I had my dorm cleaned out and packed long before lights out. I laid awake in bed all night thinking of Sarah and little Haley, Sarah's smile, Haley's girlish laugh. I thought about walking off the spaceport tarmac my little girl running up to me, squealing, Daddy! Sarah's eyes filled with tears as we held each other. This morning I showed up early to the Transplanetary Energy Company spaceport. I wore a brand new suit I purchased in the employee's store. It was plain gray and came with a red tie. On Earth, it was a kind of cheap knockoff that small-time corporate men would wear, hoping that someone would mistake it for something finer. But out here, on Titan... It represented the finest clothing money could buy. For three years, I had avoided such expenses, but I was going home, and I wanted to look my best for my girls. Three years. Haley was still in the crib when I left for Titan, but it was all going to be worth it. I was going home with over $600 in the account. Not a fortune by any means, but enough for a nice home and the promise that me and Sarah could get by on one job each for the foreseeable future. We could be a real family. We'd have time to watch Haley grow up. She would never have to be brought up in one of those company nurseries. She would never know what it was like to only see her parents once or twice a week for a couple of hours. She wouldn't be raised by a small team of overworked and bitter nurses who were upset about the amount of time they had to spend away from their own families. Haley would be loved, and that was worth every minute I spent on Titan away from them. The departure terminal inside the spaceport was still mostly empty when I arrived. It made sense, since we weren't even scheduled to board the shuttle for another three or four hours. Hell, the transport ship hadn't even arrived in orbit yet, according to the updates I received in my implants. This struck me as strange, but having a transport ship arrive late was not unheard of. I used my handheld Omnipad to search for the corporate wires for any news, but there was nothing. That didn't surprise me either. Transplanetary energy was always quiet about delays. 
There were a few other people who had arrived early and, those who spoke the same language, passed the time chatting about their families waiting back home. They used their own omnis to exchange pictures and share memories of those left behind. They talked about the grand future we were all planning. People that had come from all over the world to work on Titan conversed in Esperanto, the shared language of the colony. In all my time there, I only picked up a few phrases in Esperanto, so I sat quietly and waited, and waited, and waited. My departure time came and went. More people showed up, ready to catch the next shuttle. Their departure time came and went as well. By mid-afternoon, the departure terminal was full. I was thankful that I had arrived early, as they were quickly running out of seats. Then it happened. About six in the evening, the screens showing the departure times went to black. You could almost feel the air being sucked out of the room as everyone took a deep breath and waited for the update. It was only a split second, but I could feel a rush of anxiety that stretched much longer than that. Somehow, I knew it was about to come, but I didn't want to believe it at the time. I still don't. The screen refreshed, and the tables showing the destinations, departure time, and statuses reappeared. Then, one by one, the status of every flight changed from on time to delayed. All of them. Every single shuttle for the next 24 hours. The entire room gasped as they watched the word delayed appear in bright red letters in every column. I searched my Omni for any news that might explain what happened, but there was still nothing on the corporate wires. I walked up to the woman behind the counter and attempted to ask, in Esperanto, what was going on. She looked at me confused at first, but then, as if understanding my predicament, responded in heavily accented English. We don't know anything, sir. Please have a seat. We will inform you as news becomes available. July 12th, 2097 Last night was terrible. Most of the people, like me, had packed up their dorms. Their belongings were sitting in a cargo hold, waiting for the shuttle. With nothing to go back to, we all did our best in that cramped departure terminal. I curled up on the chair and spent a fitful night falling in and out of consciousness. No news again. The company won't tell us anything. One man went to talk to the receptionist and, when she told him she still didn't have any news, he lost his temper. I couldn't understand all the words that he said, although I'd heard enough Esperanto to know a good portion of the words were vulgar. She stared at him and tapped a few keys on the keyboard in front of her. He lost $10,000 for that little outburst. I sat back and waited. It did no good to get angry. The ship would come. I kept my mind on my wife and my little girl. This, too, would pass. July 15th. 2097. Days pass, and still no news. We are forced to eat from the expensive shops in the spaceport. We bathe in the pay washrooms. According to my transaction history stored on my Omni, waiting here has already cost me nearly a million. But it could be worse. Tempers run high. There are four or five young women who, at various times, occupy the information desk throughout the day. They stand at the kiosk while angry people approach. Most are able to remain civil, but a few lose their tempers. 
I've learned more Esperanto in the past few days than the several months I spent on the moon. Me supposes que me forasu That means I was supposed to leave three days ago. The woman who taught me that phrase by shouting it at the receptionist lost ten thousand dollars. Setuistas redinda, me respondan. This is ridiculous. I just want a straight answer. The man who taught me that lost fifty thousand. Spasa viaggio no esta mas facil factoro, si lo Space travel isn't hard, asshole. Did the ship leave? That man lost nearly a hundred thousand. But at least I learned the Esperanto word for asshole. I just said. The news is coming in from my hometown. Not over the company wires. There is never any bad news there. But a few of us have used our handheld omnis to hack into secure servers to try and find news that they aren't telling us. There was a rebel attack at the Parliament House at Canabara. They were driven west by government forces, although a few reports say that my small town, Delgetti, has become a haven for rebel fighters. Some sources report bombings. Some even say the town has been evacuated. I flip in between updates on the newswires and pictures of my family. I have never been a very religious person, but here, in this place, I pray for their safety. It's literally all I can do. Pray and wait. July 16th, 2097 Company officials arrived today to inform us that our belongings have been released from the cargo hold. We can collect them and return to our dorms. We can wait there. Myself and a few others decide to stay in the departure terminal. I cannot go back to that cramped closet, not when my soft bed and my wife's warm body seem so close. I can't pretend everything is okay when I keep hearing conflicting reports of attacks within and around my town. The woman who works the kiosk hands out penalty fees for even speaking to her now. Any question will cost you a hundred grand. An exasperated sigh will cost you a million. An outburst, like the one I heard on the first day, will now cost a person nearly a hundred million dollars. I keep to myself. I've already lost about fifty million just trying to get by in this place. Six months of hard toil on Titan, gone in a few days while waiting for the transport. I would go back to work in the refineries, but word is extraction efforts have stopped entirely. Reserves are full. There is nowhere to keep refined fuels until the transport ships arrive. So we wait. July 20th, 2097. There are about 20 of us left in the departure terminal waiting for a transport ship that's never going to arrive. Company officials show up nearly every day encouraging us to go back to the dorms. They say the ship is en route, but they give no estimated time of arrival. When they came by in the past, a few would leave to wait in the dorms. But those of us that are here now refuse to leave. No matter how many times they tell us to wait in the dorms, we respond. Ni lasus kiem la transport sipo alavianos. That means we will leave when the transport ships arrive. Today, just as the woman who runs the kiosk was getting ready to leave, I approached. She fixed me with a glare that could freeze the sun. Saluton, I said. Q estas via nomo? Hi. 
What is your name? She tapped the screen in front of her. My Omni buzzed in my pants pocket, and when I checked it, I learned that I'd just been fined $10,000. Mi estas Marco, I continued. Mi logas en del Getty. I'm Marco. I live in Delgetti. Do you know it? My Omni buzzed again. I just lost $20,000. I fished my Omnipad out of my pocket and switched to pictures of my family. I held them up and said, Gen mio ed zino Sara, mia felino Haley. This is my wife, Sarah, my daughter, Haley. I scrolled through the photos I had. Each one cost me another 20000 Be fargies terura novajo de la hegemo, I continued. Menesquias, kio ogazis alalia. Menesquias sula il vivas. I've been getting terrible news from home. I don't know what has happened to them. I don't know if they are well, where they are, or if they're even alive. Another million was gone. Me timas. Me volas de nove vide ilen kiam me rinios hebegimen. Semia iam revinos hegemen. I am scared. I want to see them again when I get home. If I ever get home. She sucked in a sharp breath and glared at me. I lost a hundred million. Even through her hard glare... I can see she's holding back tears. I continue to ask questions in Esperanto. When is the transport ship going to arrive? Is the transport ship ever going to arrive? I lose 300 million. Has the ship even left Earth? She sighed and wiped away a tear. Mia estas, Alisa. I smiled. Saluton, Alisa. July 25th, 2097. More have arrived at the spaceport. Icy faces I hadn't seen since that first morning I arrived, full of hope and excitement. Others arrived that I've never met. They were scheduled to leave on later transports, all of which have not arrived. They share news piped into our feed by a competing company, Interstellar Resources. It seems that Australia is not the only country in chaos. From what we can find out, the whole world is in revolt. In response, whole towns are being wiped off the map every day by combined government and corporate militaries. Families by the hundreds are lined up along trenches and shot so that they would fall where they would be buried. From where we stand, our whole world appears to be on fire. When we are not glued to the latest atrocity, we gather around and talk about our loved ones left behind on Earth. Husbands and wives, parents, grandparents, and children. We share pictures and stories. We laugh just before we stop and say, Se Lady Ankara vivas, if they are still alive. The company reps came by again this afternoon. They have been arriving every day to tell us that they would prefer it if we would stay in the dorms. They say there is nothing to be gained by waiting here. We will be more comfortable there. They will tell us when the transports arrive. It should be any day now. Today they no longer asked if we wanted to leave. Today they told us. A man wearing a bright silver suit, the kind you would never find on this colony, breezed through the front doors of the spaceport like he owned the joint. But he didn't. He didn't, but he looked rich enough to know someone who knows someone who does. 
he walked in with six armed soldiers and announced to the entire crowd that we were to vacate. I stepped forward and asked in Esperanto, When does the ship arrive? He fixed me with a hard glare and responded in the same language, You must leave now. You will be informed. When does the next ship arrive? He produced an omni from his pocket. Gather your things and leave. If you don't... My family has been forced to flee our home. When does the next ship arrive? He held his omni in front of my face. How much did you earn during your time here? Five hundred million? Six hundred million? Maybe even a billion? Stand down or it all goes away, Perfenduloy. Perfenduloy. I was not familiar with that word. I am not leaving till the transport arrives, I repeated. He sneered at me and tapped the screen on his omni. Mine buzzed in my pants pocket. I didn't have to look to know that everything I'd done for the last three years just vanished. Well, at least I learned the Esperanto word for traitor. He put the device in his pocket and announced, That goes for the rest of you. This depot is closed. Anyone still here in the morning will be taken out by company police. You will lose everything. When does... I started... One of the soldiers moved so fast that I didn't even see him reach for his baton before he swung it and hit me on the side of the head. I don't remember hitting the floor. I woke up with a massive bump on my temple. Some people moved me to a couch. They said they are coming in six hours. Near the door, I see people putting up barricades. July 26th, 2097. They came early in the morning, but we were ready. We sealed up all entrances but one. We rigged the electrical panel. When a squad burst through the front door, the lights went out. In the dark, we surprised them. We clubbed them with pieces of the seats or railings from the stairs. We stabbed them with shards of glass and tools, or whatever we could find. They got a few shots off, killing a young man from Bristol and a woman who left two children in a town that no longer exists. We took their weapons and, when a new wave of troops stormed the front doors, we rained fire down on them and drove them away. By that afternoon, we had killed almost a hundred of them. We lost less than ten. We were tempted to celebrate until we saw what was happening outside the spaceport. Lines of company troops, complete with vehicle and gun emplacements, surrounded us. If they could not move us by force, they intended to starve us out. The sun is setting as I write this. It is the last light we will see for a week. Most of us believe we will never see a sunrise. Right now, a company man is speaking in Esperanto over a loudspeaker. Tonu porfanduloi! Tonu vi mortos! Surrender, traitors. Surrender or die. July 31st, 2097. Even through rationing, food ran out after a couple of days. We saved what water we could until they severed the plumbing, and then that ran out a few days later. Our resolve, however, remains strong. Though the officers on the other side of the line promise us everything, all our earned funds back and more, safe passage, the finest accommodations, none of us move, for we know well the lies the company will tell. They never once told us the truth. The truth is the transports never left Earth. The truth is, transplanetary energy has been involved in a hostile takeover. The truth is, there is never going to be another ship again. Since the first attack, a few of us have been trying to get a signal out. We used our omnis patched through the spaceport systems to send a distress call. 
We begged anyone that might be listening in space to help us. We said that we were prisoners, being starved by corrupt and evil people. For days, nobody heard us, or, if they did, they didn't say anything. This morning, many of us got together. We were weak with hunger and thirst, and it became clear that we would either die here, or we would have to give in to company forces. We were divided on which would be worse. Before we could come to a decision, a distress call I sent out earlier was answered. The person on the other end did not identify himself, but only said that his client was our company's competitor. He said that there were ships en route to Titan. They told us they had soldiers and weapons, and they were coming to rescue us. But we would have to help. We would need to fight one more time. Sarah and Haley. I know nothing of what's happened to them. I don't look at their pictures anymore. It's too hard when I realize I can do nothing for them. If I ever get back to Earth, I might never know where they went. I might never even know if they lived or died. We have a meeting. It appears to be the only way back to Earth. We might die in battle, but our chances appear greater this way. At least we'd be fighting for something. At least there was a chance we would go home. We are in agreement. If they call us traitors, then Perfenduloi we shall be. You've been listening to The Ruins of Empire, The Darkness of Titan, a special release from The Ruins of Empire Project. The Ruins of Empire podcast was written by Jeremy L. Jones and produced by Sean Vincent. Cover art was by Nick Martin. Music was Wounds by Ketza at ketzamusic.com. Licensed under Creative Commons 3.0 license.